Praise the Lord, Grace Church. I said, praise the Lord, Grace Church. Is anybody glad to be in the house of God today? Amen. Happy Mother's Day 2021. We are so happy that you have all joined us here this morning. Has anybody come to bless the Lord today? Psalms 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. It goes on to say, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Have you come to magnify him today? Can we give God a little bit of praise in this place? Thank you, Lord. Jesus' name. 
Grace Church, can we just enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise? Can we do that for a moment today? The praise team has led us into his presence, and I would just like to spend a couple of moments exalting him, praising him, lifting him up. Lord, your name is all-powerful. Lord, your presence is all-powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus' name really does break every stronghold. And I'm telling you, you're in a place this morning where if we had time, we could go, go all around the auditorium and let different ones testify about the power of the name of Jesus to work in lives, the power of the name of Jesus to tear down strongholds and to do exceeding, abundantly above all we could ask or think. That's the power of the name of Jesus, and that's the power of the presence of God that's in this place. Amen. I just believe that God's going to do something awesome before we leave today. Do you believe that, Grace Church? One more time, would you clap your hands to the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. There's just a great, great presence of God here already today. Amen. You may be seated. I do want to take just a moment and welcome everyone here to Grace Church Campus, especially our guests that are with us this morning. We are so glad that you've chosen to be part of our service today, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we are so glad you've chosen to be part of Grace Church today. Let the service be a blessing to you wherever you are watching from today. God bless you. I do want to take a moment at the beginning of the service and just wish all of our moms happy Mother's Day from Grace Church. Would you just give our mothers a round of applause? Thank you, moms. We appreciate you so much. It is true that none of us would be here today without a mom. And so we love all of you very much. We do have a, a little gift for you on the way out after church today. If you would be sure to get that in Grand Central, we just want to let you know how much we love and appreciate you, all of our mothers today. God bless you. Hope you have a great day. Hope you have an amazing day with your family today. Don't forget, uh, w when you give today online or on the way out in Grand Central, the offering today goes towards Mother's Memorial. And we want to we support that, be a part of that. That helps a number of ministries, including missions. And uh, we want to encourage you to give to Mother's Memorial today. Tomorrow night at 714 in your home is United Family Prayer. And we want you to continue to be faithful to that with your family. And then another opportunity to pray uh, Tuesday morning here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. So a couple of opportunities to pray the first part of the week. We want you to make a note of that and be part of it. And then we'll see everybody back here Wednesday night for Bible study. Amen. Hey, we have a, we have a special group coming this morning to lead us in worship. It is our junior worship team. And I, am, I know you are like me. You're looking forward to hearing their, their presentation. But I want to tell you now, this is not... It's not just a presentation. It's not really specifically for Mother's Day. They are here to lead us in worship. This is the future of our worship team. This is our junior worship team. So would you worship with them and give them a great hand as they come to lead us in worship today?
these young people worship and sing for the Lord. How many believe that God can do anything? Amen. We just need to believe for it. Amen. Why don't you just worship with us this morning?
certainly celebrating today with all of our moms and uh, wish all of you uh, a very happy Mother's Day today. We hope you have a great day, that uh, you're blessed with your family and uh, all the kids be nice to your mama today. I know it's hard not to be mouthy, you younger ones, and to disobey and all that. Don't have her engage daddy, okay? Just do what you're told and you'll be okay and she'll have a good day today. So uh, that sounds like a good plan to me. Thank the Lord. But a uh, happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. We're so thankful for all of our guests today. And um, Sister Murph and I are certainly thankful to have Marcus and Cassie with us today. And uh, all the rest of you moms that have your family with you today, we're so thankful for that and we're rejoicing with you. Um, I've not come today to preach a Mother's Day message as such. But I would like to preach to our families uh, like to preach to individuals here today but I know that in a, a crowd like this one uh, that this what I have to present to you today is going to be extremely applicable I'll ask you not to look across the aisle and say that was a great message for them uh, I'd like for everyone to take this message today very personal so uh, let's get to it uh, if you would pay close attention to our scripture reading, I'm going to read several scripture settings today. If you have your Bibles, please feel free to join. Otherwise, you can uh, just pay attention to the screen. Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 27. Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even this night, before the cock crow twice, you will deny me thrice or three times. But he, Peter, spoke more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. Skipping down to verse 54, the Bible said that as the crucifixion began to proceed, that Peter followed of him afar off, even into the palace of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. He warmed himself at the fire. And then skipping down to verse 66, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, That thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And the maid saw him again and began to say to him that stood, that stood by, That 
this is one of them, and he denied it again. And a little after they stood by and said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crowed twice. Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went, he thought thereon, and wept. Now let's fast forward. It is after the, re- the resurrection. This is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples in John chapter 21 and verse 4. And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. If you'll recall, this had already happened previously in the ministry of Christ. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up into the net to land full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, and yet not uh, the, was not the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art there, knowing that it was the Lord. My focus today is when Peter denied Christ, he was standing around a fire. And after Jesus resurrected and came looking for Peter, He built another fire. Of all things Jesus could have done, he built another fire and asked Peter to that second fire. I want to talk to you about Peter's path between two fires this morning. My sermon title is The Path Between Two Fires. Everybody say thank God for the word. Thank you for standing and you may be seated. Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper painting began to deteriorate almost as soon as it was finished. The causes were multiple, and even the artist was partly to blame. The Duke of Milan commissioned the wall painting around 1494 as part of a renovation to a convent. However, da Vinci did not paint in fresco, so the pigment did not adhere properly to the surface and with about 20 years, within about 20 years, the paint began flaking off. Then there was the environment. The refectory or the convent sits in a low-lying section of the city, prone to humidity. And the north wall Leonardo uh, painted on was Leonardo painted on was damp. The painting hasn't always received the best of care. For decades, the painting was unprotected from the steam of a nearby kitchen and the candle smoke coming from the sanctuary. And even at one point, a door was cut into the wall, slicing off Christ's feet. And then under Napoleon, a number of years later, the refractory or the convent was turned into a horse stable and soldiers spent time throwing bricks at the masterpiece that we now know as the Lord's Supper. A flood once filled the rectory with some two feet of water for 15 straight days, leaving the paint carpeted in green mold. On August the 16th, 1943, a Royal Air Force bomb hit the convent, destroying the roof of the refectory and, and, and a nearby convent. It's a wonder that the painting even exists at all. That it does is a tribute to restorationists. 
the fact that we still have that painting is a tribute to the people who have labored so hard and so long to restore it. On numerous occasions, experts have applied their skills to the Last Supper painting and they have been tireless in their devotion. The most recent effort at restoration and conservation lasted 22 years from 1977 through 1999. And thanks to restorationists, the work of da Vinci can be admired. Thanks to Jesus, the work of his people can be restored. Thanks to Jesus, the work of his people can be restored. The years take their toll on the purest of saints. Our souls get soiled, our luster diminishes. And we need cleaning up as well. The proof of this is in the pages of the Bible. We call Abraham our hero. But once he refused to call his wife his wife. We delight in the works of David. Yet David is known for delighting in the wife of a friend. Rahab is one of a handful of females that's mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. But... She was also a madam in the world's oldest profession of prostitution. Paul killed Christians before he taught them. James and John were sons of thunder before they were apostles of peace. The followers of Jesus squabbled like children before they died as martyrs. The Bible is full of famous failures. We name our children after them. We sing songs about them. But let's be honest. There isn't a human in the Bible that didn't act like one and behave like one. They wore the pig slop of the prodigal, each and every one of them. And so do we. We would all be wise to admit it, to come clean, to come out of hiding. We too have fallen flat. We've fallen hard. We've fallen enough to leave us wondering how in God's name, God names us as his own. And I'm not talking about minor slip-ups and misdemeanors and innocent mistakes. I'm calling to the surface the Jonah moments that we have in our own lives when we turn from God. Elijah moments when we run from God. Jacob moments and when which we dare to make a demand of God. When you reflect on your darkest deeds, let me ask you this morning, where does your memories take you? Was it a college campus? Was it off the beaten path hotel? Was it a shady business transaction? What season of your life surfaces? Was it teenage rebellion? Maybe mid-age crisis for others, middle-age crisis for others. Maybe your days in the military. Maybe something happened while you've been married. Maybe while you're a parent. Did you abandon your friends? Did you abandon your post? Did you abandon your convictions? Have you ever questioned whether God could ever use you again? If so, I want to encourage you today to turn to a story in the Bible. It's the one we just read about. It's the story of the miracle of Simon Peter's restoration in his path between two fires. Restoration is the second stanza and the anthem of the second chance. In verse 1, God forgives us. In verse 2, God continually restores us to our place of service. He washes us for sure. But He washes us for a reason. That we might once again be portraits of His goodness, of His grace, of His mercy, 
and hang once again in his gallery of the forgiven. Did not Jesus do this with Peter? I will show you today in the next few moments that according to the scripture, he did. Jesus' relationship with the apostle began on the Sea of Galilee some three years prior to the crucifixion. Peter, as we all know, was a fisherman, had fished all night with his friends. Jesus was a carpenter and had preached on the shore all morning. The fisherman, this is the first reference. The fishermen had caught no fish and were clueless. Jesus tells them to toss their nets. Peter and the others could have understandably dismissed the instruction. They were tired. They wanted to rest. Besides, Jesus was a woodworker and not a fisherman. But still, to Peter's credit, he took the suggestion and drug into a boat, into the boat, a tremendous catch of fish. And so began this rocky relationship between Jesus and Simon Peter. Rocky because it was given to very high highs and very low lows. But no moment was lower than the night Peter broke his promise to Jesus. It was the eve of the crucifixion. And as we just read, Jesus had told his disciples that they would all abandon him. They would all forsake him. Peter's resolve was short-lived. When the Romans arrested Jesus, Peter and the other disciples fled. Peter garnered enough courage, though, to return to this mock trial of Jesus, but not enough courage to enter the court where it was happening. And here is where Peter's journey between two fires begins his downward spiral begins here warming himself at the first fire the fire of denial I want to say quickly in passing I don't know who built that fire I don't suppose we'll ever know who built it and it was built specifically for the purpose of just walking close to it and warming yourself in it but it was the company at the fire was the problem and there's folks here today, you like to warm yourself with worldly things and do worldly things and maybe some of it's not even a sin, but the problem is the company because they're going to challenge your relationship with God whether it exists or not. And this is what happened to Peter. Thanks to the fire, his body grew warm. Thanks to his fear, his heart grew cold. When confronted about his association with Jesus, Peter denied it. Not once, not twice, but three times. He denied that he ever knew the man. One gets the feeling that from this day forward, the sound of a crowing rooster must have caused a knot to appear in the pit of Peter's stomach. Jesus went to the cross and died. Peter went into the shadows and hid. And Friday was tragic. Saturday was silent. But Sunday, Christ placed his heel squarely on the head of Satan, the serpent of death, stood up and walked out of the tomb. And when the ladies that followed Jesus went to the tomb, there was an angel waiting on them, and the angel had this to say. He saith unto them, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples. And Peter, didn't have to mention Peter. He was one of the disciples. The word disciples would have included Peter. But I'm quite sure that heaven had given some instruction. Peter had cursed and denied the very name of Jesus. And yet the angel, no doubt on the instruction of Jesus himself, told the women, make sure Peter gets this message. Don't let him miss out. 
Don't let him exclude himself. Don't let him think for a moment that he is disqualified. And I want to shout to somebody here today. God is trying to get to you the same message. You may feel you've denied him, betrayed him, whatever you think. But I'm here to tell you, God has sent word. He's interested in having another conversation with you. Let's clap our hands to the Lord today. You get the feeling when you read the passage. It is as if all of heaven had watched Peter fail miserably. Now all of heaven wanted to help get him back on his feet. Some days later, after the resurrection, Peter and the other disciples traveled some 80 miles north to the sea. For reasons we're not told, they went fishing again. And once again, they caught nothing. Again, for the second time, no fish. How is it that professional fishermen raised on this very body of water could spend all night on the sea and not catch a single fish? How is it that the stranger that showed up on the shoreline that morning all of a sudden knew more about finding fish than they did. I will ask kindly this morning, is there a word in the Aramaic for deja vu? Surely the disciples remembered another night, a year or two earlier, another fruitless toil on this very sea. The endless casting of the net, it's slapping on the water. How the dust became night and the stars came out and the fish stayed deep and finally the sun rose. And on that morning, just like this one, A non-fisherman tells them to try one more time. They did. And what happened then happened again. The net filled with flipping, flopping fish. And they were suddenly flush with fish. All because of a tip from an outsider. That's all John needed. The stranger on the beach, on the shoreline, was a stranger to him no longer. John 21, 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, which was John, said unto Peter, it is the Lord. I could spend a lot of time at this point in this message, but due to what today is and all of that, I'm going to hurry on. But let me just say in passing, there's people here today that have experienced the miracle work and power of Jesus. And no matter how many fish he sent to your boat and how he's prospered you and what have you, there's come moments when you found yourself at that first fire of denial. When your friends outside the church ask you, are you one of them? Are you a child of God? Are you a Christian? And you vehemently deny it and you prove it with your lifestyle. I'm going to act just like you and I'll prove to you that I'm not a Christian. Peter cursed. That cursing was not just out of anger, but it was to prove a point in my opinion. That I'm not a follower of Jesus. If I follow Jesus, I wouldn't be cursing. So this proves the point. So we, we embrace a lifestyle. I'm talking to somebody here today, even on Mother's Day. But I'm talking about restoration, so bear with me. But, but we, we, we want to make sure that the people around us knows very clearly that we're not one of them. I'm going to live it. I'm going to live not being one of them as hard as I can so everybody knows. Come on, Simon. I agree. If you're going to do it, throw your heart into it. Do it like Peter did. Don't just deny it, but curse and swear and use all kind of vulgarity and horrible words you want. Just say whatever you want to say, and it proves to everybody that I am not one of those Christian people. But something happened to Peter. In his heart and his conscience, and I believe it's happening to some folks here today. That when he left that fire and heard that rooster crow, something happened on the inside of him. And I believe he was determined, if I can see Jesus one more time, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to make it right. It's interesting to me on this occasion, the Bible said it was the third time that Jesus appeared. But when, when John said it was the Lord, something happened in Simon. And he dove like a missile into the water. He swam to the shore. He didn't wait for the boat ride. He climbed up on the beach. And when he walked toward Jesus, guess what he saw? Another fire. 
it's interesting to me that Jesus chose this method to reach out to his heart, to reach out to his mind, his intellect, his conscience. Jesus could have done anything. He could have chosen anything else, but he built a fire. The last time a fire was mentioned in the Gospels, Peter was standing next to it, cursing and denying the very name of Jesus. Look it up. The, the, the last time a fire was built in Scripture was a Peter, the, the fire that Peter was standing next to. So Jesus shows up that day. He's been with Peter two times already, and he can't get to him just yet, so he decided, I'll resort to another measure. I'll step it up a little bit. I'm going to build a fire and remind Peter of the last fire that he was standing up against. I believe this fire was Jesus' way of saying to Peter, I know what you did, and we need to talk. We might expect Jesus to go nuclear on Peter, dredge up the past, rehearse the promises that Peter broke, call down every I told you so from heaven. He could have used his pierced hand to extend an accusing finger. Did you learn your lesson, Peter? Even a divine snarl or two seems in order at this point. But no, Jesus didn't do that. He built a fire and just gave Peter a simple invitation. Peter, come on over. Come sit down with me a little while and just grab something to eat. If you will, perhaps Jesus even had coffee in the kettle. Who would have imagined this invitation? Who would have imagined this kind of invitation. Jesus just days earlier died as a sin offering for all of humanity. He had just beat up the devil and turned every grave into a short-term housing project. Holding confetti and lining up for a pearly gate victory parade. Heaven's angels were ready to celebrate, but the party was going to have to wait a while because Jesus had one more mission to accomplish. Jesus wanted to cook fish for his disciples that morning. He, he wanted to restore the heart and the ministry of Simon Peter. He perceived the layers of guilt and shame that was on the heart of his disciple. And as, as if with a cotton swab of grace, he begins to wipe them all away. So when, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Remember, Peter's the one that spoke up and denied vehemently that he would deny the Lord. Remember that? So Jesus has a question to ask, and he wants it answered. Do you love me more than these? And in my imagination, Jesus gestured to the other disciples, and he asked the question. Peter had said, he had said that he did. Peter had said, everyone else may stumble in their faith because of you, but I'm not, Jesus. But Peter did fall. Notice, Peter did fall publicly and painfully. So Jesus restored him publicly and personally. Peter denied the Lord three times. And Jesus, in response, asked three questions. Do you love me, Simon? more than these do do you love me Simon I want to know do do you love me and Peter sees the opportunity to repent he sees the moment to get that burden of guilt off of his chest and out of his heart he sees the opportunity to repent of each denial with a confession and says yes I love you Yes, I love you. Jesus, you, you know that I love you. It's interesting, and we all know it. Jesus used a strong word for love, used the word agape. But Peter couldn't reply with the same word because who of us can love in a God way like Jesus loves us? Who can, who can get to that level of love? And so... Peter replied with a more modest word for love that just simply means affection. But his boasting was gone. And now his heart 
was honest. So Jesus immediately restoring Peter just like that. He restored him with three personal commissions. This wasn't to the disciples. He's still talking to Peter. Feed my lambs, he said. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Listen to pastor. Jesus had a work for Peter to do. Yes, the denial happened, and it happened three times, but Jesus had a long time ago zoomed out about Simon Peter. He knew he was weak and that he would fail from time to time, and he knows that about all of us, does he not? But that doesn't diminish his purpose for us. Jesus had a work for Peter to do. Flocks for Peter to pastor. The apostle that day was discouraged. But he had not been disqualified. <laughs> That's what I've come to preach to somebody here today, to a family here today that Pastor, we've been beat up and tore up and all these horrible things happen, but God has not disqualified you. That's what you have to understand. Yes, we warmed ourselves at the wrong fire, but Jesus has built another one. It says, come on, come eat with me, come talk to me. We need to have a chat. If you'll talk to me, I'll restore you again. I'll restore you again. So... What about you? Are you somewhere between two fires today? There's people here today that are. There's families here today that are. You, have, you, have your fumbles and stumbles left you questioning your place and God's plan? If so, would you please let this story that I've just rehearsed to you remind you that Jesus isn't finished with you either? You might be down, but you're not out. You might feel alone, but you're not alone. Jesus went out on a search and rescue mission for Simon Peter, and he's doing the same here this morning for you. Jude included one verse in his one-chapter book, but it's powerful, it's profound, and it's applicable. Now unto him, he said, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Can I remind you of what Simon did in a moment of gallantry in the Garden of Gethsemane when he smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear? Jesus picked it up and put it back on and you could never tell anything happened. It was a wonderful miracle for the servant. But it was also a work of Jesus for Simon's behalf. So he could never be accused of committing a crime. Where's the evidence? He took away the evidence. This is what Jude is saying he can present to you. Faultless, no matter how many fires of denial you've warmed yourself at? How many, how many times like Jonah we've turned from the voice and calling of God and Elijah and, and everybody in the Bible and the Abrahams and the Davids, he can still work a work of restoration in your life and in your family so that there's no evidence, no evidence that anything ever happened. That's the work of restoration. Jesus is the hero here. He's the one that found Peter. He's the one that called Peter. He's the one that orchestrated the catch of fish for Peter. He built another fire for Peter, and he listened to Peter's confession, and then he recommissioned Peter. If the distance during that time between Jesus and Peter was 100 steps, Jesus took 99 and a half of them. But he couldn't take them all. Peter still had to take his step. So I applaud Simon Peter today. As in faith, I will applaud you. He was told to meet Jesus in Galilee, so he went. He heard Jesus was on the shore, so he dove in the water. He was asked questions by Jesus, and he answered. He obeyed. He responded. He reacted. In other words, he stayed in communion with Jesus no matter what his past was behind him. 
You'll want to do anything but that. Failure sires denial. And denial wants to avoid the very one we need. Don't give in to the desire. Don't head in the direction of Jesus. Don't speak to Jesus when he speaks to you. And don't certainly don't obey him. But that's the very thing that takes you to this place of restoration. Is when Jesus does speak, you listen. And when he gives you instruction, you obey. And that's the point of restoration. What Peter didn't understand, I don't think, at that time is Jesus just wasn't after Simon to just be back on good terms with Jesus. But Jesus knew the future and Peter was going to live on to literally impact that known part of the world. He's still impacting the lives of people today. Jesus knew that. So he wanted to restore him. He wants to do the same for you. There's lives you can impact if Jesus can pull you away from your fire to his fire life can have more purpose and more value than it's ever had. You say, Pastor, you don't understand the past. Don't have to. Jesus didn't even bring Peter's up. He could have. He didn't. Jesus wants to give these things to us. For some here today, if you'll stand with me, restoration is the miracle you need. There's people here today that need this message. That's why God has directed me to deliver it to you. Restoration is a miracle you need. We admire the story of the blind man seeing or the crippled man walking. We're inspired by the abundance of bread and the overflowing vats of wine. But what we need is restoration, and Jesus wants to give it to us. Oh, my, he has certainly restored me more times than I can count. I've seen Jesus standing on the shoreline of my denial and doubt and heartbreak on many occasions. Peter received breakfast on the beach. He also received grace on the beach. He received pure grace. No one makes it through the lifetime, a lifetime failure free. Not one. Peter didn't. Jacob didn't. King David didn't. Solomon didn't. I haven't. You won't either. There's within each of us the capacity to do the very thing we resolve to avoid. And at some point the stallions within the corral break it down and we for a moment a day or even a decade are free to run wild if this happens to you remember the fire on the seaside when this happens to you when it happens remember the fire on the seaside Jesus still gives what he gave to Peter complete and total restoration Peter went on to preach the inaugural sermon of the church. On the day of Pentecost, he was privileged to present the initial proclamation of the gospel. As we envision him standing before the Jerusalem crowd, let's remember that less than two months earlier, less than two months earlier, he was standing next to a fire, cursing, swearing, and denying that he even knew Jesus. Can anyone turn a denying Peter into a proclaiming Peter? Jesus can. And he can do the same for you. I know it's Mother's Day and lunch and cookouts. and I don't know what all you have planned. But can we take just a moment, five minutes. Give me five minutes, maybe ten. Let Jesus do a work in your life that's more necessary than lunch with your mama more needful than lunch with your mama it's more important than lunch with your mama there's people here today that can leave with a load of guilt lifted off of you and shame lifted off of you you can start really loving your family and accepting your family fellowshipping with your family and hanging out with your family and all of those things can happen here today and just a simple conversation with Jesus more than you can even imagine so what I would like for us to do even if there's those who have been restored, maybe you could lead the charge today. Those of you that have stood on the shoreline and you've accepted Jesus' invitation as I have many times and God, I'm glad to be in good stand. Maybe you could lead the charge today as they begin to play and sing softly. This is what I would appreciate all of us doing is maybe we could come as families to come with your mom, come with your parents, come with your kids, your 
grandkids, whoever it may be. But can we come as family units here today and just gather around the front and say, God, restore us. Just make our family better. Make our relationships better. Make, make our lives better. Make our homes better. God, we need your presence. Could you come with your family? Happy Mother's Day, Bob. We're thankful for you.